So I hadn't originally planned on, on saying this, but many of you know that back in December, um, after a 15-year stint of not having atrial fibrillation, I ended up back in AFib. Um, and through that, additional medications and stuff that I was put on um, had some complications going on, and so they decided to, um, to schedule me for a CT scan. And that took place last week. And earlier this week, I got the results. And there's a couple, um, oh, now I'm, Amy, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, the things in my kidneys, the cysts, there we go. A uh, couple cysts in my, in my kidneys. Um, and one of them is large enough that they may think is cancerous. So that's, you know, the, the possibility. Um, I'm honestly not overly concerned one way or the other because, you know, I've got two kidneys, so. You can live without one. So again, I'm weird. I fully and freely admit it. So yeah, that's, that's what's going on uh, with me. So thank you, Corey, for, for praying about that. Um, it's, it's a joy to be able to be back up here. Uh, did not expect it to, to happen so quickly after the last time I preached, but you know, it is a joy nonetheless. Um, last year, you know, what a crazy year last year was. And, well, actually, I guess it was almost two years ago now, um, during the lockdown. Yeah, we all probably remember that. Um, I thought it would be a really good idea to teach Amy and Caroline how to change a tire in a car. <laughs> practical, right? Very practical thing to do. So, and I'm like, hey, you know, I am just got my teaching degree. I'm like, I got this, I got this. And, you know, I was gonna use my teaching skills and oh, it's gonna be a great, great time. You know, it was, it was starting to get a little warm, you know, as far as temperature-wise, so I'm like, you know, perfect. So we, we got, got Amy's car, and I got all the tools and stuff ready, and, and I had Amy try, and Caroline was watching, and so I showed them both, and Amy did it, and she was successful. Yay. And so it was Caroline's turn. And she, she got the, got the lug, lugs off, and she went to pull the tire off, and it kind of just fell into her lap. And she's like, Dad, I can't even pick it up. And I'm like, well, you've got to try. And so she was struggling, and she just, she just couldn't. She, for all her might, for all her, her, all the energy that this girl has. And if you know Caroline, she has lots of energy. She couldn't pick it up enough to get it aligned, to get it back on the hub. You see, Caroline was and is young, and she's not old enough to handle the weight of the wheel and tire. In fact, just a couple days ago on Thursday, she came up to me and said that her arms were extremely sore. When I pressed her as to why, she said that she had, she had worked out in her room and was lifting weights. I'm like, great, awesome, that's a good thing. So I inquired as to, well, how large were the weights that she was using? And she, with just the biggest glow in her eyes, five pounds. Yes, five-pound weights, five-pound dumbbells, and her arms were extremely sore. Yeah. But I have to admit, I laughed. Five pounds and her arms were sore. But it also reminded me of something that I had read years and years ago, probably, goodness, 20 years ago, if not more. 
And it was a book, and I don't remember who, who even authored the book or even the title of the book, but it was about talking about maturity and how there are things that parents should not tell their children. Now, it's not to be mean or cruel or even to justify lying, but it's because children are not capable of handling the weight of the topic or subject. Think of it like, and, and the book goes on to kind of use the analogy of a suitcase, that as, as a, a grown man, I'm able to, to pick up a suitcase that weighs 50, 60, 70 pounds, no problem. Yeah, after a while it might get heavy, but I can still do it. But I would not expect Caroline to do that, right? We would not expect a young child to be able to do that, or even maybe somebody who is an adult, but is, you know, maybe 100 pounds soaking wet, because that's like 80%, 50, 60, 70, 80% of their body weight. And as a father, I am careful as to how much I ask each of my two children to lift. So Caleb, my son, who will be, well, goodness, he'll be 20 later this year, kind of crazy. You know, he has actually helped me to pick up entire engines, complete, fully assembled Pontiac V8 engines. Now, a fully assembled Pontiac V8 engine weighs about 600 pounds. And the two of us have deadlifted it to, to move it around so we could hook the cherry picker up and, and lift it up properly. And the two of us, not a problem. We make it happen. But I would not expect Caroline to be able to help me with that. I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't even expect Amy to help me with that. I've learned that God the Father does something similar to us as believers that he does that in our walk with him. This morning, we're going to use Romans chapter 7, verses 7, through chapter 8, verses 11. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for providentially bringing each and every one of us here today. Lord, we pray for each and every individual who is sick or who is feeling under the weather or for whatever reason is unable to be here Lord, we lift them up to you right now. We pray your healing touch be bestowed upon them. Lord, we pray for those who are traveling. We pray for those who are now even unwilling to come to church, whether it's this church or any other. Lord, we place them into your hands. We pray that your Holy Spirit come down and touch their hearts. Lord, we lift up this sermon to you, and we just pray that you are glorified through it. And Lord, as it says in Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So let's turn our Bibles to Romans 7, 7. And this actually picks up where Renee had left off. And so, Renee, I, I do want to so thank you for, for being willing to do that. I actually approached Renee this morning, and she actually, without hesitation, said yes, she'd be willing to read it. And it's, if, if you were following along, it's not 
an easy, readable verse or verses that, that she read. But it's the Word of God. And so there, there's some really good stuff in here. So we're going to read Romans 7, 7 through chapter 8, verse 11. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring to death me, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through which is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate." Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner beings. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of I'm sorry, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind, their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For 
To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, some historical context is needed when, when looking at Romans here. So Romans was written by Paul during what is believed to be his third missionary journey and was probably written in the, um, actually in Corinth, where the, the book of Corinthians, was, that was, it was that church. He, he wrote it when he was in Corinth. And it was before he went back to Jerusalem and was arrested. So Paul's conversion um, was said to, thought to have taken place around 33 or 34 AD. And Romans, the book of Romans, was written around 57 AD. So Paul had more than two decades of ministry under his belt by this time. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, imploring the Jews and the Gentile believers to recognize that the law shows us our sin and the necessity of a savior. One of the interesting things that comes through this part of Paul's letter is in verse 15, and it culminates in verse 24, when Paul states, wretched man that I am. So here we have Paul going through this incredible journey, becoming an apostle of Jesus Christ. 20, more than 20 years later, saying, what a wretched man that I am. The, the sin that lives in me is, is horrid, is wretched. The things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man that I am. Wait a minute. Wouldn't you think that, that Paul would have overcome sin by this point? It doesn't make sense. Shouldn't his sin be gone? Shouldn't he have overcome his sin by this point? But I really think that is the point. He cannot overcome his sin. He never could. I think what is happening is Paul is recognizing his sin, and he's frustrated with it, as he should be. He has the desire to do right, but not the ability to do so. His desire is outweighed by his own actions. In verse 23, Paul clearly states that there is a war raging in him and that he sees the depths of his sin. So Paul, in his maturity, 
actually sees and witnesses a greater portion of the sin in his life that was always there. Think of it like a triangle, okay? A triangle has a certain volume in it. But Paul, at, the, at his conversion, saw only a small tip of that triangle. And as he's maturing throughout his life, he has seen that the triangle keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the triangle was always there. It's always been there, representing his sin. But he has seen it more and more for what it truly is, for how it weaves and intertwines throughout his life. So much like how I wouldn't ask Caroline to lift a load beyond her ability, I believe that God shows us our sin in proportion to our spiritual maturity. Now, don't get me wrong. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in reality, our sin is real and far deeper, larger, longer, higher, and wider than we can see. It is and always has been there. But I believe that God, in his infinite wisdom, shields us from seeing all of it and yet continues to reveal our sin as we mature in faith. So really, you should, in your walk with Christ, as you mature, as you follow Christ, you should see more and more the depths and the depravity of your own sin. And in all actuality, it's a gift from God that he doesn't reveal the true nature of our sin right away. We couldn't lift the load. We couldn't carry that suitcase. We couldn't pick up that wheel and tire. Looking at Paul's life, we can see that as he matured, he recognized how much of a sinner he is and the hold that sin has on his life. So then you have to ask yourself, why would God do this? If he didn't, if he didn't do this to us, I believe that we wouldn't depend on him or that we would depend on him much less than we should. As we matured, we'd be like, I don't need God. When in all actuality, we need God even more. So instead, we need to depend more and more on God his Son, and the Holy Spirit, and less and less on us and our own abilities. Also, when we were young in faith, we don't have the capacity to rely on God enough to see how deep our sin actually is. Much like a child picking up a large suitcase. When we are immature in our faith, the same sin is there, that triangle, Think of it as a triangle. The same sin is always there. We can only see a very small sliver of it. But God shows us just enough of our sin to continue to rely on him. So you should, in your walk with Christ, see more and more the depths and depravity of your sin as you mature to walk with him. Think about that for a moment. As you and I grow in faith, 
we should recognize more and more the depths of our sin and how sin infiltrates and engulfs our lives. The Holy Spirit reveals the sin that has always been there more and more to us so that we depend more and more on God. It's all about total dependence on God and not depending on ourselves because depending on ourselves is sin and it separates us from God. Now, what do I do if I've been walking with Christ for a long time and I don't really see my sin anymore? Well, you should ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Dig into the Bible. See how sin is pervasive in your life and repent by asking for forgiveness for not continuing to rely on God. Okay. But what if I'm not there yet? What if I'm a young believer? Well, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Dig into the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in spiritual maturity and a deeper faith and reliant relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now what, you may ask, if I don't want to get there? What if I don't really want to see the depths of my sin? Well, you know, that is a real question, and it may be one that many of you are, if you're truly honest, asking yourselves. So what should you do? Well, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Dig into the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to spiritual maturity and a deeper faith and a reliant relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kind of sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? But it's true. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Dig into the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to spiritual maturity and a deeper faith and reliant relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't become a statistic. Don't become static. Don't say or think that your sin is finished or gone because it isn't. What it is, is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to overcome sin. So the next time you go to pick something up that's heavy, maybe it'll remind you of something that you need to do. Let's reread Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, 
But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for overcoming sin that is so pervasive. But Lord, we also thank you for continuing to show us how the sin dwells in us and for allowing that to be seen so that we may trust in you and rely on you and put our hope and faith in you and not in ourselves. Lord, we ask and pray for spiritual maturity to continue to see our sin that's always there. Lord, we pray that if we stop seeing it, that we would recognize that we have stopped seeing our sin, that we would ask for forgiveness, that we would repent and realize that we need to rely on you. Lord, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit come down and work within each and every one of us. Grow us to maturity that is far greater than we could ever hope for. Not that we can boast in anything other than you. Lord, let it, let it not be about us, but let it be for you and you alone. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to cover our sins and then to raise again so that we may have life eternally. Lord, as we are here on this planet, use us to glorify your name. Let our sin not get in the way, but show us our sin so that you may be glorified, so that you may be relied upon, so that we aren't thinking that it's all about us so that we recognize that we can't do it alone because that's not your plan. Lord, be with each and every one of us here today, whether we're online or whether we're here in person. Lord, again, I lift up those who are ill or those who are traveling. Lord, we pray a special blessing upon all of them. And Lord, we also pray a special blessing on those that are here right now. We thank you for providentially bringing each and every one of us here. We pray for the, the workers who are in nursery, toddler room, and kids zone. Lord, we pray for each child that is here. We pray that you continue to draw us close to you in everything. And Lord, if that means showing us the depths and depravities of our sin, let it be so, because we truly are wretched. 
but praise be to God that you have overcome. We give you the praise and glory. In your name we pray, amen.